Express thanksgiving. So that's what we're talking about today. You know, it was about an hour drive from one side of Atlanta to the other side, and this is with no traffic, to get from my hometown to where Uncle Johnny and Aunt Debbie lived for Thanksgiving. And, and see, uh, this is my mom's side of the family. My mom is one of seven children, Uncle Johnny being uh, one of her older brothers. And so uh, this was a big deal. This is a really big deal. And, and so we would all pile in to whatever car it was at the time. It started with the station wagon. So my two older brothers and little sister, mom and dad, we all pile in and we're fighting for the way, way back, right? And then the station wagon kind of graduated to a minivan. And then it kind of topped out at a suburban somewhere in high school. But, but we, would all, we would all pile in on our way to Thanksgiving and we would all be wearing nice-ish clothes, right? Because, because mom wanted some pictures, and we knew that, but we also knew there would be some football with cousins in the yard and some hide-and-seek in the woods and some fishing because Uncle Johnny lived on a lake. And, and so all of these people from all around Georgia and even neighboring states would kind of converge at Uncle Johnny's house. And this, this little quaint uh, ranch on a full basement that kind of overlooked a lake. It was an incredible backdrop for, for another family gathering. And so all of these people, we'd come together, right? And we would share stories and we would laugh at some of the stories. I mean, they were so good. You didn't mind hearing year after year after year, right? You, can, you know the stories I'm talking about. But looking back through like my memory bank of Thanksgiving, and growing up like a faded Polaroid picture, that's the backdrop. And, and, and right at the center of, of all of those memories is Uncle Johnny. And of course, he was the host of it. But, but when I think of Thanksgiving, um, he, he kind of immediately rushes to my thoughts. In fact, here's a picture of Uncle Johnny. Here's Uncle Johnny, and this was a few weeks ago, and this is my Uncle Rob, his little brother. And, and they're actually fishing on Pauly's Island, South Carolina, which is where he lives now. But, but it's actually quite fitting that when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of Uncle Johnny for a few reasons. Like I said, certainly he was the host, but, but there's these mental souvenirs like etched into my mind every time I think of him. And when I think of him, again, it coincides with Thanksgiving, like, like the first is that for my entire childhood, like as far back as I can remember, I always thought Uncle Johnny was the biggest Detroit Lions football fan. Like I always thought he was the biggest fan because every time I went to his house, which was always and only on Thanksgiving, he had the Lions on TV and he had one of those giant like projection tube TVs. You remember these things? Like they, it was like a giant cube and it weighed as much as a Volkswagen these TVs, and he always had the lions on, which it wasn't until I got a little bit older and I realized that the lions actually have a long-standing tradition of playing on Thanksgiving since 1934. And so it wasn't that he was a fan; that was the only thing on TV. Okay, so I always thought he was a big lions fan. The other thing is that Uncle Johnny he would always pause to give thanks, and not just. Pause to pray for the meal, but every year, as sure as clockwork, but as authentic as, as like a, a pair of Levi's, Uncle Johnny would pause and he would take a deep breath 
and clear his throat and kind of through waves of emotion, he would express thanksgiving. You know, a kind, generous, grateful man of God in that moment, each November, it was simply an overflow of his lifestyle of thanksgiving. He always made sure to give God the glory and praise for another year and another opportunity for us to come together. And so he would highlight some of the highs from the year and some of the blessings we'd experienced. And we'd also recognize some of the trials and some of the struggles as a family. But, but no matter what that trip around the sun brought our family, he, he would always pause and, and, and express thanksgiving. And then he would pray and he'd humbly ask God to do it all again. And so it's actually quite fitting that Uncle Johnny personifies that holiday in my mind. And I'm so grateful for his example. But you know, Thanksgiving has been this holiday celebrated in America since the 1600s and similar celebrations actually take place all around the globe where people pause, they come together and they express their gratitude. And each year, millions and millions of Americans, they gather with family and friends to observe this national holiday. But if we're not intentional, then we can miss its intent among all the eating and the drinking and the laughing and the stories and the arguing and the Black Friday ads, right? And before we know it, the dishwasher is full, the leftovers are put away in their Tupperware and we're sharing farewells until next year. So with the fourth Thursday of November, approaching later this week, no matter how your family chooses to gather or connect in this heightened season of social distancing, let's not miss the opportunity to express thanksgiving. You know, it's a peculiar name for a holiday, isn't it? I mean, have you ever considered that thanksgiving is like the only holiday that doubles as a verb? Like it's action-packed in the word. It's interesting, right? But this idea of thanksgiving while credited to peace-loving pilgrims highlighted by Turkey, it's been a key indicator of God's people from the very beginning. It's been encouraged and expected. And, and actually, I want to share a few examples from both the Old Testament and the New Testament This span like centuries and continents alike, and you see this theme of thanksgiving. See, we read this, that give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And we could go on and on and on sharing scripture passages or even stories of thanksgiving throughout the Bible and throughout history. But there's this intrinsic theme of thanksgiving found all throughout God's word. And today we're actually going to unpack this idea of thanksgiving, but how it relates directly to one account of Jesus. And, and when he actually commended, expressed thanksgiving. And so I want to ask you to join me in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. And while you get there, I think it's important that we understand some context around what we're going to read and not just context about Luke 17 and the account of what happens there, but also uh, the context around who wrote Luke 17. In fact, it was Luke. 
All right, there's a brain buster. Luke actually wrote both the self-titled synoptic gospel of Luke, which has been called, get this, the most beautiful book ever written. And let me just say, if you've never read through the book of Luke, this is a perfect time of year to begin that. So he wrote the book of Luke, but also the book of Acts. It's kind of like a sequel. And it's important to note that Luke himself wasn't an eyewitness to the life of Jesus and to the ministry and resurrection of Jesus. Luke wasn't actually there himself, but he joined the Jesus movement early on and became a good friend and missionary and fellow traveler of the apostle Paul. And Paul actually referred to Luke as our dear friend and beloved physician. And so it's officially Dr. Luke to you and me. And we see that doctorate style, attention to detail, shine through as evident of his extensive interviews with eyewitnesses and his cross-checking of references as he wrote his gospel account in the book of Luke. And then, this is so cool, then Luke always seems to go the extra mile to show how Jesus includes those who were typically treated as outsiders by the religious establishment of the day through deep character descriptions. Like Luke is always looking for and he sees the outsider and he makes us aware of that. And some of these include, they include women, they include common laborers, the racially different, the poor, the weak, and those who were suffering. And all of this to communicate to communicate that the invitation stands, that the doors are open and they are wide and welcoming and that every single one of us can be found, can be healed and welcomed by God through his one and only son, Jesus. Now, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, Luke is the most vigorous champion of the outsider. So think of that. That's who's writing this. That's context about the author. Now a bit of context around Luke 17 before we dive in. Here's what's going on at this point. We're actually in Jesus's third year of ministry. And at this point, he has called, taught, and traveled with his disciples all around the region, from Judea up through Samaria and into Galilee and as far as the Jordan River. Okay, and so he's traveled around, he's performed miracles, and he's taught to crowds, thousands and um, hundreds and hundreds of gatherings of smaller groups and all of that, and he's traveled with his disciples to do so. And at this point, he's actually embarking on his final journey, and he's heading to Jerusalem, where he will actually show up to town and be treated like a rock star, and people will literally lay down palm leaves and branches for him to walk on only to be crucified later that week with the support of those very same crowds. And so that's where he's going. And allow, allow the shadow of the cross to loom large in the near distant future as we unpack today's word recorded by Dr. Luke, chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Church, I want to invite you to pray with me before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Jesus and the example that he gives to us. I thank you that, that you are close enough to see our pain, but you're big enough to do something about it. Lord, speak through me as I strive to honor your word with my friends um, here gathered wherever they're at today. And, and Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's unpack beginning with verse 11. As we mentioned, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but this gives some geographical insight as to where he's at on that trek. It says, it says that he's along the border, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And so this gives us an idea of where he's at and why is that so important to know? Because that means that he is tightroping a racial divide. Essentially, you have Jews to the north in Galilee and you have Samaritans to the south whom Jews considered, get this, Jews considered Samaritans to be a mixed group of biracial half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, but full outcasts. And you may have heard this before, but let it refresh your attention. Jews despised Samaritans and Samaritans, man, they returned the sentiment they detested the Jews. And so Jesus is tight roping this racial divide. All right. And that's where he finds himself. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And this, this passage right here, these two verses actually present three questions that I want to ask and unpack together. Number one, why are they standing at a distance? Think about it. They're off, they're standing at a distance and very simply, the law requires them to. They're standing at a distance because the law requires them to. In fact, the law, it's required those with such physical disease and handicap to distance themselves for centuries. Like the third book of the Bible actually details Israelite ordinance and law, and it unpacks this statue and how the priests were actually responsible for diagnosing leprosy. And then it gives very specific instructions on, on what you are to do with someone who has leprosy known as a leper. And lepers were to be banished from their homes. Think about this for a moment. Because they've contracted this disease, they're to be banished from their homes and forced to live on the outskirts of town. And Leviticus, it even, even describes how lepers were to carry themselves. Get this, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. Let that sink in for a moment. That, that these people with leprosy, they distance themselves 
and, and, they, and they don't really take care of themselves. And then if they come around anyone, they're supposed to shout out and let them know that they are unclean, that they are an untouchable. And think about the intent of the law was to prevent others from contracting such life-threatening illnesses. It, it makes sense. And with such limited medical ability, it was essentially their way of flattening the curve, right? It doesn't feel like much has changed, but think about the effects that this would have socially, emotionally, and mentally. So essentially, if you contracted a skin disease like leprosy, you'd be quarantined for the rest of your life. Okay, so that's why they're standing at a distance. The second question, why are they standing together? Let's think about this. You know, one thing, maybe the only thing that these 10 guys, these 10 men have in common, they're all outcasts. I mean, they're medically ostracized. They, they have been sentenced to social isolation. And so it wasn't uncommon for lepers to commune with one another. I mean, they couldn't hang out with anyone else, could they? And so they would come together and they would establish what's called a leper colony. It was a confined community for untouchables. So they would all, all converge on one place outside of the town. And they have one thing in common, that they were outsiders. But, but notice, notice who this group is made up of. Because it adds a very interesting wrinkle to the story. We already know that at the end, Jesus commends the Samaritan for coming back. And, and with Luke's geographical context... This group of outcasts obviously consisted of Jews as well. And so isn't it fascinating that for the lepers, that once fierce racial divide fueled by hate is now so insignificant in light of their circumstance. So the question, why are they standing together? Because they have been united in their misery. They've been united in their common misery. That's the thing they share because doesn't brokenness and pain and hurt just have this way of unifying us in the midst of and maybe in spite of our differences? Well, that's what's happening here. And so we have this group of 10 lepers made up of, of both Jews and at least one Samaritan and they're all calling out to Jesus, which is my third question. Why are they calling out to Jesus? Well, essentially... And very, very basically, because his reputation precedes him. You see, Jesus has been traveling around healing people. And they've heard that a healer is on the way and they need to be healed. They've heard that this man speaks with authority and he teaches like no teacher of the law or, or no teacher of religion ever has. And he's bringing a new, a new covenant, a new gospel. And, and he's saying things they've never heard before. But, but he's backing it up with action and he's proving his divinity through the miraculous. And, and, and so this healer is coming to town and they need to be healed. And so they, they, they cry out to him. But, but, you know, think about this. Dr. Luke actually records Jesus saying in chapter five that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's exactly what's going on. These guys recognize that they are sick. They recognize they're in need of a healer and Jesus is making his way to town. But pause for a moment because they, they by law are required to yell out something. What are they supposed to say? 
They're supposed to say, unclean, unclean, and and make sure that no one comes close, but in the presence of a God who's close enough to see your pain, but also big enough to do something about it. Listen, you shoot your shot and you ask the desire of your heart. And so instead of unclean, unclean, they cry out, Jesus, master. And Jesus sees them. And they cried out because his reputation preceded his visit. They knew what Jesus was capable of and they were crying out for mercy. Verse 14, when he saw them, this is beautiful. Pause and think about this. When Jesus saw them, you can't see something you're not looking for. And Jesus was looking for them. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Wait, why? Remember? They're supposed to go show themselves to the priest because the priest has the authority to determine if a person was clean or not. And to be restored to a normal life required a priest's validation that they had been healed. And so Jesus says, hey, I want you to go. I know your current state, but I want you to go show that you have been cleansed. And as they went, I love this, as they went, they were cleansed. Think of that. As they went, as they obeyed, as they exercised Faith, they were cleansed, which is such a unique and creative way for Jesus to heal them. You know, there was earlier on this time when Jesus actually shows up and he reaches out and he touches Peter's mother-in-law and he healed her off of her deathbed. And there was another time where this government official, he came running to Jesus and he's out of breath. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, I've got this servant who's paralyzed and he's suffering. Can you heal him? And Jesus says, let it be done as you have believed. And the guy goes home and his servant has been healed simply by the word of the Lord. And still yet another time where Jesus was actually on his way. He'd been summoned. Somebody in a very similar fashion, they heard that Jesus was around. They said, oh, I need Jesus because my daughter is on her deathbed. And so they send for him and Jesus responds and he's going there to heal this little girl. And on the way, this woman who had been suffering, she'd been suffering from bleeding in this unceasing menstruation for 12 years. She just reaches out through the crowd as she grabs Jesus's cloak because she believed there is power even in the tassels of the Messiah, and she was healed on a moment's notice. And and oh yeah, Jesus did eventually make it to that little girl's house, and he walks into a heavy home that's sobbing over a lifeless corpse, only to leave moments later as they celebrate new life. He healed her. And, And so we see all these different ways that Jesus healed people, but nothing quite like this. I mean, think about it. Jesus essentially says, listen up. Hey, I want all 10 of you who are sick. I know, I know you're an outcast. I know you have leprosy. I know I'm not supposed to be near you. I want all of you who are sick. I want you to go and show that you are healed and have the faith that I'm gonna deliver. Listen, he's saying, I know your current state. Now go claim the promise I'm giving you and have faith that I will come through. And that's what they did. I mean, they took Jesus at his word and when they did what he said to do, they received the blessing he promised to give. They were healed. Then verse 15, we don't know how much time has passed now, but verse 15, one of them, 
when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. One of them out of 10. One of them came back to express thanksgiving. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. You, you know, talk about being singled out, right? Like, like Jesus points out the fact that this guy was a Samaritan. Why did he do that? Because the crowd he was with, his disciples, they're Jews. I, I mean, think about that. You, you ever been singled out before? You ever kind of been called out or just kind of like embarrassed or put on the spot? You don't really know how to respond? Well, well several years ago, I'd stop by Starbucks to get coffee, right? I just get plain coffee with cream. That's it. So nothing super special. It's not a hard thing to order. And this is you could order in person. And there wasn't like, you know, you weren't muffled by the mask sort of thing. And so I go in and I order my coffee. And, and the barista, she looks at me and she goes, are you Italian? And I said, no, I'm from Georgia. And she goes, oh, I thought I heard an accent. And I thought, What? And, and then like everyone there just kind of like looked at me and it was just really awkward. I, I promise you, it feels like they turned the music down in that moment. Everybody just kind of looked at me and I was like, I start questioning everything, right? And, and in that moment, I felt singled out. And that's what's going on here. This guy is singled out. And then Jesus asked, but get this, he's not asking the man. Jesus asked his followers who had just witnessed this miracle. He says, were there not 10? that were cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And here's the thing. What they once shared in their loneliness, they now lacked in their comfort. You see, just before this miracle, all 10 banded together, right? They were sharing misery and they all called out to Jesus. But as soon as they dispersed, the end of their crisis brought a close to their unity. But I do want to humanize the other nine for just a moment because it's easy to chalk them up as being selfish or ungrateful. And maybe some of them were, but I think it's way more likely that they, 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 were, so, that they were so eager and excited to see loved ones they've been cut off from, that they wanted so badly to go be, be welcomed back into their communities and they've likely missed birthdays and they missed hugs and they missed tailgates and they missed home cooked meals. And so no doubt they would have been grateful. They would have been thankful for their healing, but their desire for a normal life must have been so overwhelming that, that in, in the midst of, of the miraculous, they got distracted from the miracle worker and they immediately ran back to their comfort. And so it's remarkable in a sense that this one man resisted the urge to go home immediately and actually turned back to thank God. But that's the point. That it's one thing to be thankful, but it's another thing to express thanksgiving. And these other nine men, man, they may have privately shared their gratitude, but they didn't return to publicly express thanks like the Samaritan. You know, scholar Charles Kussar put it this way in reference to the Samaritan. He said, the model of faith turns out to be the ultimate outsider. The, the model of faith for all of these men who've been, who've been witnessing Jesus's miracles, they've been witnessing God's kingdom coming to earth and being manifested through this man, Jesus. 
They've been witnessing all of that. And the ultimate symbol, the example of faith is this outsider. And then Jesus commends this man. I love this. Verse 19. He said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And in this moment, I, I, I like to just imagine, it doesn't say this, but I like to imagine that Jesus didn't lord it over this Samaritan, but that he actually got down on his level. And maybe he even helped him up. And just like the woman who was caught in adultery, she was thrown out into the crowds and she was singled out and she's in the dirt and Jesus stoops down in the muck and the mess of your filth. And he says, listen, I know your past, but that's not gonna constrain you anymore. I know you've been an outcast, but not anymore. I want you to rise and I want you to go. Your faith has made you well. And here's what's amazing. The transliteration of your faith has made you well literally means you have been saved. You see, Jesus didn't just cleanse the man so that he could go on living to one day die. He gave the man assurance of life after death. But in light of everything, that had just happened. The miracle of 10 men being made clean. The fact that Jesus saves a Samaritan would have been the most jaw-dropping, unbelievable piece to accept for his disciples. And I think that Jesus points out how many didn't return so that he could actually highlight who did. And then Jesus saves him, communicating that the kingdom of God is for everyone that there is hope for every one. And for Luke, who joined in on that movement after the resurrection, and he's, he's, he's collecting all of these facts and all of these stories and all of these accounts and eyewitnesses, and he's writing all of this down very carefully and intricately. And, and he gets to this point and he makes sure that we see that it was a Samaritan that Jesus saved because that kicked down barriers. And if it kicked down barriers for him, that meant Luke too could be saved which is good news for us because it's evidence that we too can be saved. So what do we do with all this? Well, for one, let me just say, if, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you feel like an outsider, man, you, you're welcome here. Jesus is leaning in and he's looking for you and he sees you and he, he's not caught up in your filth. He's not caught up in what has what deemed you an outcast in society or in your family or in your workplace or in relationships. No, Jesus sees you and he loves you and he's here to save you. And if you would like to talk about that, man, send us a message right now. You can do that right now, wherever you're tuning in from. You can send us a direct message. We would love to navigate those next steps and, and help usher you into this relationship with Jesus and into the family of God. But, but in regard to applying all of this to our lives, as simple as it may sound, I think we do what this upcoming holiday instructs us to do. Remember, Thanksgiving doubles as a verb because it's one thing to be thankful, but it's another thing to express thanksgiving. So I want you to, to, to think about this and apply it to your life. And here's two takeaways for this week. Number one is to thank God. It's to thank God. What do you need to express thanksgiving to God for? I want to challenge you at some point, maybe today, maybe this week, to make a list. What do you need to thank God for? Here's part of my list. Family. 
and freedom and faith and hope and love and forgiveness and healing and peace and life and health. That's part of my list. You're welcome to use some of those, but just think about what do you need to thank God for? But let me caution you to be careful, to not get so consumed by his blessings that you actually miss out on thanking God for who he is. In other words, do you love God or do you just love his stuff? I mean, think about it, all the blessings of our life as Christ followers, all the things we get to experience by being in God's family, an assurance of life after death, forgiveness of our sin, a relationship with Jesus, all of these wonderful things, but we don't want to remiss and, and, and miss out on thanking God for who he is because God, God is a good father who knit you together in your mother's womb and instilled purpose in your soul and thank him for loving you so much that he paid your insurmountable sin debt with the blood of his one and only son. And thank Jesus, who, as Paul described in Philippians chapter two, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But by the power of the Holy Spirit walked out of his own tomb alive. Thank God. Thank God. That's the first expression and takeaway and the second is like it, thank others. Listen, I just wanna say, I wanna take just a moment wherever you're at and I just want to express gratitude and thanksgiving for you. You know, as a staff member here at Northeast and one of the pastors, we are so grateful for you. It's such an honor and a privilege to serve a group of people, a group of, of courageous and generous Christ followers who are striving to, to extend the love of Jesus right here and beyond. Beginning in 40509, beginning in your household, beginning in your neighborhood and beyond. It's such a privilege to be on this journey with you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for, for our church. But who do you need to express thanksgiving to? You know, are, are you thankful for your family? Well, express thanksgiving this week. You thankful for your kids? Express thanksgiving, not just for them, but to them. You thankful for a friend who's had your back through thick and thin and maybe 2020 has highlighted some of that? Express thanksgiving. Is there a teacher or a mentor or, or, or maybe, maybe someone in your life who's just had a tremendous impact? express thanksgiving? Is there a neighbor or a co-worker or a boss or maybe a cousin or a grandparent or an uncle? Express thanksgiving. You know, as I mentioned earlier that my uncle Johnny personifies thanksgiving and gratitude just overflows and it oozes out of his very being of who he is. Well, earlier this year, my uncle Johnny received a gloomy stage four cancer diagnosis. And, and because of dim odds due to the extent of the spreading, Uncle Johnny has elected to forego the comprehensive treatments and instead to enjoy and to live out his remaining days with fervent gratitude. To live every day as if it's Thanksgiving. Well, well as you can imagine that, that me and my entire family and friends and all people all around the country have been praying on his behalf, have been praying for and with Uncle Johnny and Aunt Debbie and, and actually gave him a call this week 
just check in on him. And on Monday, I'm talking with him and I just wanted to carve out time to express Thanksgiving, right? And friends, let me tell you that his infectious joy is more contagious than any disease could ever cripple your body. I mean, he's riding bikes like almost every day. He's playing golf four or five days a week. He said sometimes he even hits it pretty well. And, and then, man, he's, um, he's going out with his wife to the beach. They live on Polly's Island. They're walking their dogs in the evenings and watching the sun set. And, and he was sharing all these things with me. He said, you know, buddy, I mean, God's going to heal me in his mercy sooner or later, but once and for all. I'm closer to the Lord than I've ever been before. I talk to him daily and he talks back. And you know what I've learned from Uncle Johnny? It's that consistent thanksgiving leads to a lifestyle of contentment. That consistent thanksgiving leads to this lifestyle of contentment. And just before we hung up the phone, he said, listen, I'm just soaking up the days and giving God the glory. And what? an attitude, right? What gratitude. And I was mulling that over as I was preparing for this message. And this idea hit me that, that making your days count begins by thanking the one who makes the days. And that's what uncle Johnny's doing. He begins every day by thanking the one who makes the days, who made a way where there was no way. And friends, I share that with you because sometimes urgency matters. Like with so much going on, it's so easy to miss opportunities to express Thanksgiving. And just like the nine lepers who have very well may have been grateful, they missed out on a greater gift and the far more supreme and lasting healing that was available. And I get it. It'd be way easier to stop and smell the roses if all the roses lined the path we were already walking. But that's not usually how it works. More often than not, it's inconvenient to act. Thanksgiving is oftentimes a detour. But don't miss it because it's coming. The, the noun anyways, the, the holiday this week, it's coming and it will come and it will go. But I encourage you, like my uncle Johnny, to choose the verb form of thanksgiving and express it with humble authenticity as soon as possible. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a good father, eager to lavish your children with blessings, but more than your stuff, God, we thank you for you. And we thank you for, for healing, certainly in the miraculous form, but undoubtedly in the eternal. And Father, create a sense of urgency inside each of us to express thanksgiving this week and, and to allow each expression to become a building block toward a lifestyle of gratitude. And God, personally, I thank you for my uncle Johnny and the example he is to me. And I pray for healing and peace according to your will. And in the words of the Samaritan, Jesus, master, we pray in your name. Amen. And what a powerful message by Pastor Philip today. And this posture of express thanksgiving can, can sometimes be so overlooked, right? And we truly may never know the full effect that our words and our actions have on those around us when we operate and when we respond with a heart of gratitude and a heart of thanksgiving. And I know Thanksgiving this year and the holidays may, may look very different for you and, and for your family, but 
But let's not allow that to steal our joy and our heart of thanksgiving. Instead, instead, let it challenge us to be creative in the ways that we show love and that we show thanksgiving to, to all those around us this holiday season. And as always, listen, we, we love to connect with you. And, and the best way to do it, honestly, is through the, the Northeast app. The app is going to be the best way to stay connected here, to, to find out about upcoming events, to get you know COVID details, to, to catch services online, to give. The, the app is going to be the best way to do that. And maybe maybe something stood out to you. Maybe something was pulling on your heartstrings and, and you want to connect with us. The app's going to be the best way. You fill a connect card through that. And, and we'd love to engage with you in that way. Or also, you can send us an email to notestomani at nccleks.org. We would absolutely love to talk with you about any questions you have about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, anything that you have, we, we would love to connect with you in that way. And now listen, that's all we have for you guys today. Would you just be so blessed on Thanksgiving, whatever that looks like for you and your family. And we'll be back with you real soon.